Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by financial ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome to the China Shop. We're back at you with another exciting interview episode. I'm Shopkeeper Dan. With me, always, is, as always, is Kyle, creator of FinancialNips2.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing good. Excited about today's uh, guest. We've been uh, we had this one circled on the calendar for about a month and a half. Yes, very exciting. Why don't you introduce our guest today? Oh, you don't want to do it? I did the last one, so so you uh, got to do this. Uh, today's guest is Cody Willard, uh, former Fox anchor, hedge fund manager, and the creator of the Skydolls Space Crypto. Yes. How are you doing today, Cody? I, I'm uh, excited to be here with you guys. Even just the banter right before we got on <laughs> air was making me laugh. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, you don't currently work for Fox, do you? I, mean, I want to make sure I got that intro right. I do not. Look, I was a, I was Larry Kudlow's sidekick and, you know, Larry was, uh, you know, longtime CNBC guy. And before that he was Reagan's chief economist. And then he was also Trump's uh, chief economist or whatever, head of the economic roundtable or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I have always been very vocally anti-Republican, anti-Democrat. On the other side of the ledger, one of my very best friends is uh, Bob Weir from the Grateful Dead. So between Larry Kudlow and Bob Weir, <laughs> Run the gamut the on the old <laughs> spectrum. <laughs> oh God! You get you ever Wonderful. get them all together for like a barbecue? <laughs> <laughs> I've actually tried to do as like Bob Weir actually comes on a. Uh, I do a uh, a monthly political f Zoom call with a bunch of my friends, and Bob mm -hmm. Weir is one of the guys who shows up for that. But Larry Kudlow has never showed up for. Afraid <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be outnumbered. Yeah, I think. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, frankly, 
<laughs> I've been in that situation. That's no fun. I spent 528 episodes on Fox being outnumbered. I mean, it was, oh, my, I can you imagine. know, because I literally was anti-Republican and anti-Democrat. I'm very clear about both being corrupted and you know, yeah. horrible. And yeah. I get behind that. You know, here's in a nutshell. I know we're not here to talk politics, but this it'll segue us to to the crypto anyway. But you know, in a nutshell, the problem with the left is you know they they say they're for like peace and like opportunity, but you know it's like endless welfare for giant corporations and banks, and they bomb children in the Middle East with whether it's Obama <laughs> or or Biden. Yeah, and then right. the problem with the right, of course, is they're like, hey, we're for like liberty and freedom, but here's billions of dollars of welfare for farmers and ranchers and some more for some bankers. And we should cut yeah. taxes and create a bunch of loopholes. <laughs> and also we should bomb children in the middle East. Right. Right. <laughs> Don't forget about uh, taking away net neutrality. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Which one does, which one did <laughs> like, you can't keep this stuff straight because back in the nineties, the Republic, here's another one. Like, let's get off of this topic real quick, but look, in 1969, <laughs> if you were like anti-government, you were like a liberal. And now mm-hmm. in 2022, yeah. if you're anti-government, you're supposedly a conservative. And I say, yeah. look, the party stuff is stupid. I don't even like that's the whole point. Like, look, let's be freedom loving, uh, but let's not pretend that Republicans and Democrats are either f- for freedom. Yeah. I just want both sides to be able to sit down and discuss an issue without screaming at each other. Is that is that too much to ask for? <laughs> it is. I mean, you know, the frankly, that's the whole problem, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I've been in the these, they'll find a topic that they can find that they'll make you scream about you know if you can't yeah. if we all agree that bombing children in the middle east is bad then hey we'll get to abortion and we can fight about that yeah. right <laughs> oh. oh how young is too young to kill no. so how does this segue into crypto so the single biggest <laughs> i'm glad you asked <laughs> i was waiting to the uh, the single, the, the, I think the single biggest impact that crypto is going to end up having isn't just in currency. I, th- I do think Bitcoin and the ability to, you know, to sort of destroy the fiat currency regimes around the world is also powerful. But the decentralized autonomous organizations uh, create a different way of organizing human beings and creating mm-hmm. incentives that you know, can create new ways of doing things. So we don't have to have the liberals and the lefts be like, Hey, we need some like tax credit for giant corporations who do stuff in space. And we don't need the right being like, Hey, we should give like a SpaceX a trillion dollars to get us to Mars or something. I mean, either way, Mm -hmm. this is something you can create incentives, for example, cleaning up space debris with a profit incentive, but it's actually, you know, sort of a motive of doing social good. How does Skydle do that? Like, what's the actual mechanism that makes this work? I I think I understand some of the basics, but I'll let you. Yeah, look, the the, the 30,000-foot overview, I just made that pun up right now. Oh, that's good. I've been, that was so, that's just been yeah. low-hanging fruit forever. Low-hanging low-earth orbit uh, <laughs> j- joke to make for a very long time, and I haven't made it. We're, we're honored <laughs> you chose us to make that joke. Yes. But, uh, I'm, you know, look, I'm always looking for a new pun, and space is very punny. Yeah. 
So, look, the point being that for on day one, I, I, we, we've created a cryptocurrency that whose mission is to clean up space debris. And it's mm-hmm. uh, by the way we try to create the incentive of doing that is early adopters. So if you're an, a space enthusiast or you're an early, you know, you love crypto, you need to go to sktls.com and register for our free airdrop. We don't even collect your name, your number or anything. You have to be a U.S. or Canadian citizen to make sure we don't get in sanctions troubles and stuff. But if you go there, sktls.com, you can register for the free airdrop. 100 million tokens will be airdropped to whoever registers on sktls.com on that first day up to the first 100,000 people. You still have time, I think. You know, it depends on when you actually hear this, but we've had a few thousand people register. Look, the next thing is 100 million tokens are airdropped into a fund. And one, 10% of that fund every year will donate that fund will donate 10% of its tokens every year to a company or a country or a teenager or a university who has a plan to clean up space debris. And every time there's another launch to outer space, whether it's a satellite or a human being, we quote unquote mine or print more tokens. And it those new tokens half get distributed to early holders in the form of interest and half get distributed to that space fund that then again, the next year will go out and spend 10% of its tokens to fund cleaning up space debris. And when there are a total of 300 million tokens printed, we're done. That'll be the total current uh, circulation when it's all over. So how do, where does the value come from for the actual token itself? That's one thing I've always struggled with the, with crypto. <laughs> sure. Look, number you know, other than helium, you know, which sort of has a in, inherent or say ether, I guess too, they have inherent mm-hmm. value because they're providing some services, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is what we tried to crack with this thing. So the, the value would be number one, we have artists already on sktls.com who are receiving payment in you know, are waiting to receive payment in Skydal tokens as soon as they hit. You can actually purchase their heart art now with an IOU for the SKTLS when it does drop. The, the the inherent value in this thing is truly, you know, currency driven. You've got to have the profit motive of people who believe they can get in early and continue to get more tokens for, by being there early. But the real vision is that in, say, 10 years when I am on Mars, um, you know, I'm, I'm an investor in SpaceX <laughs> through my hedge fund, and I very much plan to go to Mars when we get there. And I plan to pay for a Mars bar. In Skydals, you know, we want to be the de facto. <laughs> we want to pay for the de. You know, we want to. We want to be the de facto currency on Mars. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the Elon and everyone else has said there will be a cryptocurrency that will dominate the currencies on Mars and on on these you know other societies off off of Earth. And it might as well be a virtuous one. Like I said, there are no founders tokens. I don't know if I said this. There are no founders tokens. I don't make any money off the airdrop. I haven't even registered for the airdrop i have a hedge fund that i run day to day that's a very lucrative job and i'm not risking it to do a crypto i just wanted to learn how to make a crypto wanted to do some good once i started making it and i figured space debris is a very good easy thing that we could that is exciting for people to especially crypto technology enthusiasts to get excited about also, uh, if Elon is is wanting to, if he's the one who gets to pick the uh, the the token that's used on Mars, uh, I think you have a leg up 
if you're the one trying to actually clean up all the shit in space. Yeah. You know, and Elon's even talked about that as, as you know, anybody who's aware of space. Let's shift to space for a moment away from crypto if I could. Look, this I, 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 my job is to find what I call revolution investments. And so, you know, I've owned Apple literally since 20 cents in 2003, mm. split adjusted 20 cents. It was $14 at the time nice. when I bought it. But at Google from the day it came public, Facebook, Bitcoin, I got into at 100. So, you know, my job is to find these revolutions. And mm-hmm. I think the clearest, most obvious next place for revolution for a trillion dollar economy to be built is in space. The costs of dro- sending things to space continue to drop. The technologies and the things we can do in space continue to advance. That's the dream scenario for a revolutionary investor. Over the next 5, 10, maybe let's call it 10 to 20 years, I think space is easily the fastest and most obvious growth uh, in our economy. Uh, I mean, there's still a lot of hurdles that we have to get past, aren't there? I mean, yeah, it may be the cost coming down, but until we get like a space elevator, like transporting materials to and from off world uh, may never be cost effective. I don't know. You know, you've got even companies here in New Mexico. There's a company called Sling... Oh, is that the centrifuge? Yeah, one? right. So, okay, you know, yeah, you've, that's got, cool. <laughs> you've got other, that's always, that's the thing I talk about with space is that mm-hmm. I, I, we're, we have companies that are creating new ways of getting to space that are dropping the costs to de minimis compared to certainly what they were just even 10 or 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And as those costs can continue to drop and as the technologies and the things we do up there continue to advance, it's, I don't know what all the different ways we're going to get to space, much less all the different applications and services and ways of feeding children that are going to be developed by getting to space. But I fully expect that, yes, farming yields will go through the roof when you can track the soil moisture levels of every acre of your ranch or your farm. That type of stuff is going to be real. It's going to make an impact and it's going to feed children. That's an excellent point. So how did you get so interested in this then? It's, this sounds like more than just a passing fancy. It sounds like a childhood dream. <laughs> it's actually not. You know, it's funny. So I don't know, about three years ago, it really was par- partly getting into SpaceX. I've got, I'm going to segue again for a moment. I'll tell you about the time mm-hmm. how I got blocked by Elon Musk on Twitter 15 years ago. Nice. Oh, no. so, <laughs> yeah. 2008. You know, Tesla's a startup back then, three or four years old. It had just come public a few months before this incident. I was booked to have Elon Musk come on my show on Fox Business. He was going to be one of our guests that night. And we shut down Central Park and I had the original Tesla Roadster, that orange one that you've seen pictures of him with. Is mm-hmm. that the one in space now? No, that's not the one that went to space. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, but that would actually be a, an even better segue. But no, somehow, look, so we, we closed down Central Park. I got to race you know, 120 miles per hour down Central Park in that original Roadster. Oh, wow. It's very exciting. And I went, I had just joined Twitter a few months before. And if I didn't mention, I am really bitter at Republicans and Democrats for bailing out banks. And in 2008, all they were doing was sending trillions of dollars to banks and giant corporations. And I'm like, this is, re- this is madness. And I tweeted to Elon at Elon is coming on my show tonight. His company wants another $500 million of welfare from the government. What what do you guys think? Oh, no. So he blocked me and canceled his segment and sent his chief oh. marketing officer or something to the show. <laughs> so fast forward 10 years. 
in 2018, I've just launched my hedge, just about to launch my hedge fund in 2019, January 1st. This is my second hedge fund. I closed the original one to take the job on Fox years ago. Mm. So I was launching this thing and I was thinking, well, I got to find the next revolution. And I went and, you know, I'd been following Tesla forever and the Model 3 had finally hit. And I thought the Model 3 at 40,000 bucks or 35,000 is what they were promising it cost. Mm-hmm. You know, 45, 50,000 bucks. If, they, if they've got a car that's actually amazing and is going to do self-driving eventually, I got I to gotta check this out. So I went and bought a Model 3. And the, the day I got it, I was I immediately realized that Tesla had cracked the code and it was by far the best $40,000 car you'll ever buy in your life. Hmm. So I went and made Tesla the biggest position in my hedge fund. And I'm now waiting for my Model S. Because and it, it literally, because you know Tesla's paid for a ranch, it's paid mm-hmm. for a Model S upgrade. It's you know the stock's gone from fifty bucks to a thousand. Yeah, and yeah. along the way, <laughs> I started doing digging into SpaceX, and because you know I was wanting to see what Elon was doing there. Mm-hmm. And so look, and I, I can, blocked or not, Elon's a genius, man. Like I'm, you know, he need, this is one other note. Like why the hell is that guy, he's out there, he's like telling Bernie Sanders, I forgot you were alive. Well, in 2008, when you were begging the government for half a billion dollars of welfare so your company could survive, Mr. Elon Musk, you certainly knew who Mr. the socialist in charge over there was. So yes, I mean, come on. Oh God, it's such hypocrisy. But nonetheless, I went and dug into SpaceX. I was like, oh my God, SpaceX is amazing. Let's figure out space because this is about to happen. And so I've spent the last two or three years digging into space up until that other than loving Star Trek and Star Wars. No, I wasn't much of a space guy. Do you think that SpaceX will ever be publicly traded or is that something that Musk just doesn't want to have to deal with shareholder pressure? Uh, You have that 100% correct. After going through all of the nightmare he went through with, you know, short sellers and then everything else and the mm-hmm. sec he will never ever take spacex public but i fully expect a year from now that starlink will be yep. doing an ipo and by the way i just i just got my email from starlink today saying that uh they shipped my unit oh i will soon be a starlink customer in addition nice. to a starlink investor perks of the job huh no not really just was a, a sort of like with the cyber truck i literally i have two cyber trucks on order that i ordered the day that they came on line that's the minute he finished his uh his presentation with the cyber truck and the website popped up i ordered two of them oh man lucky look i'll figure this this is going to be one of the easiest investments i ever made you can take the original cyber truck and do two things with it you can sell it the day you get it for probably a 20 to 50 percent markup mm-hmm. or you can wrap it in plastic put it in your in a hanger or a garage leave it for 30 years and pull it out and sell it then why do you think tesla is so far ahead of everybody else uh i mean there's other companies that are trying to close the gap like why are they struggling so hard to to do so uh, who would you say uh, rivian ford rivian neo ford gm L- lucid isn't nissan even trying now too yeah i mean look if you're a car company you're trying to catch tesla yeah mm-hmm. The 10 years head start is no joke, right? Yeah. I mean, it took 10 years before they thought it was even a threat. And in 2018, 2019, when the Model 3 took off, 
everybody sort of realized, oh, crap, this thing's real. We need to catch up. These cars are better than ours. We're selling flip phones and he's got an iPhone. And that's still sort of the scenario. I mean, it's, you, you know, you can go order yourself a Rivian and good luck getting it in the next, you know, it'll be interesting whether you could, if you ordered a Rivian right now or a Cybertruck right now, it would be interesting to see which one you got first. I would bet the Cybertruck is easy, is delivered first. I'd be more interested in seeing who paid the original price first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wasn't Rivian the one that, that tried to increase the price for the pre-orders? Yeah. I've got two cyber trucks locked in at a price that I doubt they're gonna let me get, right? I mean, by the time <laughs> that truck gets delivered, that's gonna it'll be twenty or thirty percent more expensive than the, what I paid than what they told me I was gonna pay. Mm-hmm. Man, if you guys uh I think you guys should reach out to Kerbal Space Program, uh, the creators of that game. Have you ever heard of this? No. It's uh it's it's like a simulation game where like you start off on this planet called Kerbal and these little green aliens and you like build uh rockets to try to explore different bodies in the um and the solar system but with the uh, with with using tokens as currency like in games like uh nfts for for like you know special skins and like that kind of stuff seems like that'd be the perfect group to partner with yeah we've it's we've actually had a another space game startup reach out to us and try to partner with us on using our skydal tokens in their games somehow mm-hmm you know, they're still figuring out what the actual plan is for that. Uh, let's talk crypto for a moment. There's yeah, let's 18, go back. There's 18,000 cryptos out there, 17,892 of which are fraudulent, silly, or stupid. Mm-hmm. I have been a Bitcoin for nine years since 100 bucks, and I believe in Bitcoin. I believe in Ether. I've been in it for probably four or five years. But this is silly and stupid. About half of the, you know, about 90% of the things you see out there now are silly or stupid. And you got to avoid them. It's one of the reasons I like the Skydles space crypto airdrop so much. Literally, you can't lose money if you're just putting your name in for a free airdrop. And we're giving away every single token. And they might be worth 50 cents. They might be worth $5,000. But you could literally get something worth thousands of dollars airdropped into your wallet just by registering. Whereas everyone else wants you to go out and I don't know, like stakes or sacrifice or trade or turn your dollars into tethers to turn them into ethers, to turn them into something else that you could then trade for an NFT. And that don't do any of that. People slow down, just slow down. Quite the salesman, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) What am I selling? I'm selling nothing. I'm, I'm selling, selling a registration. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> so, okay, let's go back to the uh, the fraudulent uh, coins. Like what makes Bitcoin and Ether so much better than like, say, PancakeSwap or SushiCoin or Hamster? Oh, and frankly, I don't even have a problem with some of the ones you just mentioned. It's PancakeSwap, SushiSwap, you know, I mean, those are-, those are just names that I can't off the top of my head. Okay. Well, those are technically exchanges where peers can trade to other peers. People can trade to other people. And I fully expect that Skydal's crypto will be traded on PancakeSwap and on SushiSwap. And people might have to buy a token to do that on there. That's mm-hmm. you know that's beyond my control. We airdrop it and people can do whatever they want with the tokens they get when they get them. But a lot of these tokens are, you know, you've seen these rug pulls, surely, where yeah. it, there was like even an Elon twin token or something, right, uh, <laughs> a month yeah. ago. And I'm not making this up, you know, and it went up, you know, someone put in a million or two million bucks into that. Not someone, people, real individuals put in a million or two million dollars into that token. And then one day, the you know, the guys who created it just 
sold everything, took their money and left. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, a lot of this stuff out there is, um, has no economic value, has no, you know, motive to be economic value. Any of these things that are like, we punish people for selling the token. (laughs) We incentivize people to hold it forever. Oh, that stuff's bullshit. I mean, that stuff, sorry, that stuff's fake. It's fraud. It's, you're going to lose all your money if that's what your bulk, if, if you're, the value of your token hold rests on punishing people for selling it, it is not going to work out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's an excellent point. I hadn't phrased it like that before, but damn, that is a good way of phrasing it. Literally, yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, that's in a nutshell. If you, the value proposition of your token is that you punish people for selling it, it's not going to work out. Yeah. It's a fraud. Yeah. It's going to be a zero. There's the teaser. Right. <laughs> right down that timestamp, Dan. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to need that clip. <laughs> All right. So when is the, uh, when is the drop? It is... Uh, Space Day, first Friday of May, and I think that's May 6th this year, but frankly, I'm going to pull it up while I'm saying it out loud. First Friday is May 6th. Yes. So you have until May 6th to get registered over on sktls.com unless 100,000 people have already gotten there. But I don't think, look, I I don't think we're going to hit 100,000, frankly, which is bonkers to me. Mm -hmm. How is it that we're literally giving away something that could be worth thousands of dollars or even in years, it could be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and you don't even have to put it in a dollar or an ether or a big coin or a satoshi or anything and nobody and we can't get people to go register i bet you'd get more if you did charge i wonder because yeah. uh, i don't know something about something being too easy that people just don't do it and that's where actually we we, we have a theory at, at skydles that after the airdrop that's when you know it goes from thousands of people to tens of thousands of people mm-hmm. being involved with it because then they actually there is value to it that there is something it is being traded for a certain amount of dollars and slash ether slash bitcoins so what 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 actually went into creating this like did you do most of this yourself or did you have to go get a team together i have thousands of people who read my stuff and follow my treat mm-hmm. if you guys are interested in my actual stock and crypto stuff not just the skydal thing oh yeah you can go to trade Readingwithcody.com. I charge twelve or thirteen hundred dollars a year to read my stuff, but I write about all of my analysis and every trade I'm making and when I'm making it, and tell you what I'm up to. I I had this idea. What happened was I bought Bitcoin in 2013 and all these others along, you know, five mm-hmm. or six others along the way, and then in 2018. It just went crazy. 2019, they went even nuttier. And then, you know, last year I started seeing like Hex uh, worth $60 billion, which I think is eventually going to be worth zero. And a bunch of these like, you know, wild, either fraudulent, silly or stupid cryptos that are- You can say shit coins. I know you want to. (laughs) (laughs) These shit coins, there's like thousands of them. And I thought I've got to figure out a- what is going on and B, how is this happening? So I sent a note out. I, you know, I just wrote about it and I told everybody, Hey, I'm going to start a space crypto. I don't even know what that means yet, but I need volunteers. You want to, if you're interested in learning how to do it, join in. I had about 20 people 
uh, sign up to volunteer. None of us got paid. Lots of people put in money and time. Uh, everybody put in time, but mm-hmm. lots of people, including myself, you know, put in, I, I probably am $50,000 building this thing, learning how to do it. When I orig- originally started it, I, you know, I didn't know that I wouldn't be able to do founder tokens, but once, you know, I talked to my attorneys and everything and they're like, look, if you don't want to be a security, if you want to make sure the SEC never comes knocking on your door, you can't get anything for creating this thing. You have to give it all away. Mm-hmm. It has to be not just a virtuous idea. It literally by every single dime that it's ever generated from this thing has to go to cleaning up space debris or people that you airdropped it to. And I, mm-hmm. okay, at this point I was, you know, I already had 20 people weeks into the process and nobody was thrilled about not being paid, but we also had known when we signed up for it that we were going to do something virtuous and, you know, it was a volunteer thing. Mm-hmm. So at any rate, yeah, we've had, you know, I've got the guy who actually did all of the coding uh, is a, you know, a big programmer guy over at a large social, you know, the largest social network company in the world. And we had the COO of one of the largest investment banks in the world volunteer to help us figure out some of the incentives around it all. And a science, you know, like a guy who just retired from IBM as one of their chief scientists was one of the guys who volunteered. All these people were reading my stuff and volunteered. And so we had a team of about 20 people. And then Joe Volpe or Piper or Damien or one of my other volunteers probably got me on this podcast with you guys because that's how we reached out to you. I think it was Joe. Yep. We had two of the people who volunteered (laughs) their time whose jobs right now are to reach out to every crypto podcast on the planet and get me or someone else on there talking about the free airdrop. I'm glad they did. Yeah, me too. Well, me too. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your time. Somebody else that actually rec- – oh, Eric Mason. That was who recommended us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, very cool dude. I've, I've just gotten to know Eric. He is now a volunteer on our you know project here. He's put oh, his wow. time and energy into this thing. Really? I didn't notice that. Huh. I'll look through the founder list to see if I can find him on there. It's a, he's not on there. He literally – I bet he's three weeks into helping. Oh. Four weeks into it. He's not on the website yet. Well, if you need someone to go up, uh, you know, over the Carmen line, start picking up uh, satellite debris, I'm your guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll volunteer for that space trip, huh? Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'm sure I can talk the wife into letting me go. Right, right. I, I have a medically fragile daughter. I have two daughters, one of whom is medically mm-hmm. fragile. She's about seven years old, doesn't walk or talk, breathes with, uh, you know, has a trach and breathes on oxygen. Oh, and. Oh. We dream that eventually one day we get her up to Mars or the moon, where obviously the uh, gravity lesser gravity is, is not nearly as big a deal. It'd be a lot easier to have her walk around as best she can. That'd be amazing. I believe it. I believe it. I yeah. you know it's not ten or twenty years, but maybe in twenty five, thirty years, I, it would be amazing. I'll be seventy five years old, taking my thirty three year old daughter out there to get out of a so she can just walk without yeah. assistance. If you had the chance to be the first flight over to Mars, would you take it? Mm, if I wasn't, look, if I didn't have the, what I just described, absolutely. Right. Another time and place in my life, absolutely. That would have been something I would think would be. I, I, I do think that if you could go, you know, going to Mars in that first 
ship or two, it's going to be like coming, you know, your family came over on the Mayflower and for generations, right. you know, if you're, if your mm. great, great, great grandparents came over on the Mayflower, your, your kids are messed up because you got so much money. Like, that's the kind of wealth we're talking about. That, right. Like, you know, owning space next today means my great, great grandchildren are probably going to be really screwed up. <laughs> Hopefully they, uh, wow. hopefully they send you a thank you. No, I, that, you just described several people I've met that can trace their lineage back to the Mayflower. Yeah, every the, one of them. It's, it's, it's totally nailed it, right? It, yeah. it's, it's fucking nailed it. Yeah, yeah man. No, like you got you, yeah. you, you to be blue collar, hard work. My dad's a veterinarian. My mom's a school teacher. That's where you got to come from. We can be normal, and I obviously I'm still messed up too, but I'm normal-ish. Right, right. Ish. No, Me- messed up from the same place everybody else gets messed up. From. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm a normal yeah. messed up, not yeah. a crazy messed up. Normal life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had my dreams and hopes ruined one day at time as i drifted on along this straight line to the coffin <laughs> just like everybody else just like well, everybody like, else. i thought you were going to say on the straight line to the podcast and then to the coffin, but... <laughs> no this is my one this is one of my few joys in the world <laughs> i actually put together a basket of what i it's a basket of uh big cap stocks that have crashed no, oh. and what I'm calling it is a casket of big cap crashes. Oh, I love and it. Nobody nice. got my pun. Everybody's like, "Dude, you misspelled basket." I'm like, "No, it's a casket, man. These things They're are dead. in the grave. They might come back to life." Wow. Can we uh, can we pivot to the hedge fund a little bit? Sure. I kind of want to know what what goes into running a hedge fund. Well, first of all, how did you start one? I want to go there first. How and why? Yes. Yeah. Well, backing up a little, just I'll be quick. But you know, in two thousand one, Kramer, Jim Kramer, put out an article, and at the bottom of the article, you know, like he always did, he had a million articles he's written. At the bottom of this one, it said, "If you're an out of work Wall Street analyst." Uh, send us an email because we need writers at the street.com. Mm-hmm. And I wrote him a web uh, email and said, look, I'm not an out of work w- analyst, but I have a website called teleconomics.com and I'd love to get involved with the street. And he started publishing me and then he put, and then after I look, and I showed up every day for years, mm-hmm. I mean, for a year and a half, probably. And the editor in chief knew I wanted to launch a hedge fund, told Jim Kramer, I wanted to launch a hedge fund. Kramer sent me an email and said, Hey, come to my office and let's talk about it. And I went in and he sent me down and said, look, you need 200. This is in 2002. Mm-hmm. And he said, you need $250,000 in the bank so that you have enough money to fund your hedge fund and get it started and put a little money in yourself. And I did, I had $22,000 in the bank, but I nodded and said, yeah, no problem. Uh-huh. What else? <laughs> and he was, you know, like basically explained to me. I needed to go find a prime broker. I needed to go find an a- uh, accountant, auditors, got to pay for that and or find someone who will pay for it. And then mm-hmm. you have to pay them back. And eventually, you know, I spent a year building the contacts and getting the hedge fund ready to go. And I, my largest investor at the time I thought was going to be a uh, the CEO of a giant telecom company I had briefly worked for who uh, two weeks before I launched, declared bankruptcy and moved to Florida. Did he work for MCI? Uh, no, it was, um, he sold a company to Com Disco for a billion dollars. It was a DSL company before DSL was ready to go. Hmm. Anyway, I can't, I can't even remember what the name of the company he sold is now. It was one, wor- one word. 
anyway, he sold it for a couple billion, made his money and then went bankrupt. And I didn't get the 15 or 20 million I thought he was going to put into my hedge fund. Next largest investor I had lined up was my best friend from childhood, Neil Patrick Harris, who put in 250,000, which was awesome. But it was also not 15 million bucks, which I needed to sort of be my anchor hedge fund. So I started really small and it was not economic and it was horrible. And I spent five years building it up and, you know, making basically, you know, building assets and making returns and eventually got an offer to go on Fox. And I took that and closed the hedge fund. And then I started this one three years ago. And it was a lot, I wouldn't say easier. It was certainly a lot easier, but it was certainly not easy mm-hmm. starting the second time. Is that just because of the knowledge you had or because of the contacts you'd already built? And the rep, the track record and reputation I had, frankly, mm-hmm. you know, rather than trying to find uh, one big investor and some small ones, I I, re- I put my own money and my uh, lots of my friends and family's money, I guess not family, but people who know me and who followed me for many, many years ended up investing in this hedge fund. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was, I, I don't have any institutional money. Most guys go out and spend a year or two giving up equity in their hedge fund, trying to get big money into their hedge fund. And I just raised it all from retail investors, um, no institutional money. Nice. Wow. And, and if I could finish, the whole point of the hedge fund is the only reason I started the second time around. I had basically retired when I left TV the second time, the first time here. And I, the only reason I started the second hedge fund was because I have a daughter who is medically fragile and mm-hmm. I need to, her to have a whole, whole lot. I, she needs to have the kind of money that will mess up my grandchildren right? so that I know that she will forever have great care. And um, we, what I realized, you know, even when I launched, what the number that I launched with was still, you know, not a billion dollars or even a hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. but it was plenty um, for me. If I do good returns for the next 20, 30 years. My hedge fund's called 10,000 days. If I do good returns for the next 10,000 days, she will have the life she needs to have forever. Sorry, I have to go back for just a moment here. Um, You just kind of glazed over the fact that your best friend from childhood was Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I I know you tried to sneak that one in there, but (laughs) (laughs) before Doogie Howser? Before, yeah. I mean, literally he's like my first childhood friend was Neil Patrick Harris. My mom and his mom were pretty good friends and my dad and his dad were pretty good friends. And we used to, my brother was his brother's age, two years older than us both. And Neil and I are the same grade and um, he's frankly brilliant and always has been and was complicated. Did you get to go to any movie premieres with him? No. When he, you know, he got discovered in eighth grade Yeah, and uh, we went out and did a movie with uh, Whoopi Goldberg and, and then got to the Doogie Howser show and, you know, true stardom started with that. Yeah. And look, I mean, Neil, Neil struggled with his youth and, you know, growing into mm-hmm. who he became. And I loved Neil always, like he's always been a close, great friend of mine. And, when he got discovered and went away and became a huge star, most of the people in our in his hometown got bitter, and I didn't. I Why? stayed in touch. I loved him. Why would they? I don't know. People just hate success, kind of thing. I guess so. Oh, he's too good for us now. He moved on. Oh, so I was on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno 
10 years ago, 15 years ago. And Jay says to me, you must be the biggest star ever from your tiny hometown in New Mexico. And I, I assume he had done his homework and that's why he asked the question. Cause I was like, Dude, I'm like a nobody. Like, I mean, it's not even funny. Like, uh, you got one of the most famous people in the world from my hometown. So, yeah. <laughs> so how? When? When did you know that he was gay? At what age was it? Like, really obvious to, pe- to everybody but him? I did not. I, look, I I'm kidding. I, sh- I was probably naive, but like I dated a I played basketball at the University of New Mexico and my girlfriend at, for a while was a volleyball player. And and, you know, I st- like again, I hung out with the for a while. Neil actually moved back to Albuquerque back in when I was in college at the University of New Mexico. So we would hang out mm-hmm. and all the volleyball team wanted to date him. Right. And of course. And I was like, hey, man, like I got 12 beautiful girls that want to come over tonight and hang out with you. They're lining up, bro. They are lining up. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, nah, I'm busy. <laughs> and, but I will say, like, I, I, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, ah, right, like right. he probably got I better agree. options or something. Yeah. Why do I assume he was in medical school? <laughs> no, that's the thing you have. I figure you might as well that's become funny. a doctor if you're going to. I mean, right. I gotta, wait, let me finish the story. I got to oh, answer sorry, your sorry. question. You don't have to something about the doctor. <laughs> He goes to, when I had moved to New York, probably 1996, we were hanging out. He had moved to New York at that point, too, or was about to. And we went to dinner um, one night, and he was like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I'm gay. And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't, but okay, yeah. Nice. Yeah, makes sense. Nice. <laughs> yeah. uh, the other thing you said. About being a doctor. Oh, I'll tell you. So I play basketball at UNM and like a bunch of my teammates found out I was hanging out with Neil and I'm not joking. Several of them were like, yo, uh, is he really as smart as he is on like TV? Is he like, like, can he really do all that? (laughs) Is he really a genius boy doctor? No, he's acting guys. He's acting. He's a great actor. He is a great yes. actor. I truly think he's going to get an Oscar one day. I would think so. I love the stuff that he's been doing lately. He doesn't think he's on the right quote unquote career path, right? Like, <sighs> and and I get what he's saying, right? We got to sort of have a different career path. But I just figure there's going to be this like one role in the next ten years that is like everybody goes, I cannot believe that was Neil Patrick Harris, and he does something that. I don't know. He's so talented. Well, the, yeah. it, it's not very often somebody comes out from the other side of the childhood actor thing. Uh, yeah, a decent human being. And being somewhat, yeah, well adjusted and actually, you know, still doing good work. That's right. You're absolutely right. And don't get me wrong. Like, you know, even my own struggles being a almost famous wannabe anchor on financial news. Like, is there even like a groupies for financial news stuff? Like, right? Like, I never had anything. You want to join our Discord? <laughs> <laughs> no. And I really. still, it'll mess you up, man. Mm-hmm. Like, TV messes yeah. people up. And Neil's, yeah. you know, like, he's amazing for being as normal as he is. Yeah. I, I love his beautiful family photos he tweets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're great. Uh, I could talk about. Neil Patrick Harris and movies and TV forever, but I feel like maybe but, we yeah, should back, talk about some more back to financial financial stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your, what's your actual style and it comes to investing then? And you, 
when you're picking these diamonds in the rough, like, are you more of like a fundamental analysis type guy or are you technical analysis? Do you use a blend of the two? I, the only charting I do is when the, everyone says, this is the worst chart I've ever seen. (laughs) Then I'm like, Oh, let me go look at that. I go see that. That sounds exciting. And so, yeah, what my favorite thing to do is to find a, you know, like a Tesla or Apple or Facebook or Google or, you know, some of the ones I've NVIDIA, I got it seven bucks mm-hmm. a share back several years ago. And what I do is like with NVIDIA, let's use that one as a good example. Yeah, that's a great example. So at the time I wrote for, you know, tradingwithcody.com and on marketwatch.com, both actually, that there were several revolutions that I wanted to get in front of Mm -hmm. autonomous driving, uh, uh, artificial intelligence, gaming, Mm -hmm. virtual reality. Well, guess who had, you know, who was like literally skating there already. Right. NVIDIA was going to all of those segments at the time. They were truly just sort of a gaming chip company, you know, graphics chip company, but all the graphics chips were going to be used for so much of this. And they were going to take their platform and sort of migrate towards these things. And so I look at that and I go, look, we've got a potential. What I'm trying to find are trillion dollar marketplaces. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, there's several trillion dollar marketplaces. You get self-driving or you get artificial intelligence working. Those are trillion dollar marketplaces. So what are the best plays for that? So then I go and I'm like trying to find companies that are great plays in that. And well, like, stumble across NVIDIA and guess what? It's like four or five of the different different industries that I think are about to become multi-trillion dollar industries. Well, it's one of the leaders in that. Well, let's go look at the numbers. And so then I, you know, I go, I look at the balance sheet. I look at the growth projections. I look at the gross margins. And like, as I'm sitting here in front of you, I literally, I mentioned earlier, I have a casket of big cap crashes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I've got 35 stocks I've analyzed. I came in yesterday morning and spent a few hours at the office and then did more this morning. And I've, you know, I've run through Trilio, Verizon, Intel, Roku, JD, Qualcomm, Facebook, PayPal, Google, Uber, Spotify, Shopify, Teladoc, Apple, says. Solar Edge, Zoom, Amazon, etc. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at all of these things. And my final thing that I'm looking at here right now is I've got the PE projection that I came up with three years out. And I have a PE projection that I came up with for five years out. Mm-hmm. And I go through and I'm trying to find anything that A, is either growing so fast that it when it's five years out, if it's trading at a 20 PE versus that number, it's still going to be cheap because it's going so fast. Right. Or B, you find an Intel that's trading at seven times my number, six times my number five years out, not including its new chip vending business for other people. You know, it's chip fab business that it's building all these factories of chips. Mm -hmm. That's a trillion dollar kicker. So then I'm like, all right, I get Intel at eight bucks. And I got a trillion dollar potential kicker and it's the worst chart I've ever seen. <laughs> Why? So what do you do then? I literally start buying it. Yeah. And <laughs> like with Intel or like Intel's the first stock since Tesla in three years ago that I've outright pounding the table going, holy shit. I can't believe I get to buy this at this valuation right now. I cannot believe like this this is incredible. I will any share you want to sell me of Intel. 
I will buy it. I have made Intel my largest position. Really? And if it'll go down another 20%, I will make it, I'll make it as big as Tesla was. Do you think they've done enough to uh, stop losing market share to AMD? I think they just rolled out chips last six months that are taking major market share from AMD in the desktop and laptop. And mm-hmm. I think in six months, they've got these Alder Lake chips that are going to come out and take a bunch of sh- share in the server side of mm-hmm. things. So, yes, I think AMD is taking serious market share. And then they're about to become the next, you know, they're about to become the free world, the Western world's only chip vendor. Hmm. Taiwan Semiconductor is the only one you, Tesla and Apple yep. can make, yep. get their chips from. Yep. Taiwan Semiconductor is in Taiwan. Yep. It is next to China. (laughs) Yes, it is. So I do that. And literally, I think Intel is a screaming buy right now. I did a bunch of work like Shopify. I wish it was a better buy, but it's not exciting enough to me. Teladoc is another one. I was like, oh, I bet that one's going to be cheap. And I went and did my work and I was like, eh. It's not quite. It's getting there. Oh, man. I look at this Intel chart. It's one of the worst charts I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm just kidding. I literally wrote again and again about Tesla when I started buying it in, you know, 2018, 19, I guess it was uh, at like 60 bucks split adjusted over and over. It's like, oh, my God, this is the worst chart I've ever seen. Everyone hates this chart. Oh my God, thank you. I will buy more. Well, Intel's a tough one because, I mean, they fell behind on the uh, the chip architecture, right? They're, I can't remember what nanometer they're stuck on, but um, AMD was working with TSM to come out with their five nanometer platform, I believe, uh, while Intel was still trying to get nine, right? Yeah, like you're you're exactly right. It doesn't really matter, but they were like they were at thirteen, and TSM was at eleven, and then now and Intel's at nine or seven, and AMD and TSM's at like three. Intel's engineering and innovation is so is like it took AMD get that getting that big of a lead in architecture before they even became comparable with speeds. I think what really happened to Intel was they spent ten years almost becoming GE or IBM. Right, with, just resting. Basic, well, and even just like financial gimmickry, mm-hmm. like just we're just going to buy back shares and, you know, like make our numbers look good every quarter until that doesn't play out and then we crash, right. which is what IBM and GE have both done over the years. And I think Intel was going down that pathway until Pat Gelsinger was hired. The new CEO that came on last year is an engineer who created the x87 mm-hmm. architecture that that amd uses to this day right and you know another one of my favorite things sayings is always bet on brilliance mm-hmm. and that's why i bought in you know tesla even though elon hates me i was like the dude's brilliant i can see that from out here yeah same thing with gelsinger like mm-hmm. gelsinger is brilliant yeah, Intel has way too much talent to to stay down for too long. They just, especially if they've got a good leader now. Yeah, picture Intel's like who do they have to compete against? Taiwan Semiconductor. Okay, great. Like Taiwan, they're the best. Fine. Who else does Intel have to compete against? Samsung and some like Chinese fab companies. Mm-hmm. Uh uh-uh. man, Intel can beat Samsung. Intel can beat those Chinese fab guys. Like but- Intel's about to just. 
with Gelsinger driving and engineer driving that thing within five years, they're going to be one generation or half a generation behind TSM. If TSM is even still an independent country, an independent company. Well, TSM doesn't make their own. They, they're just contractors for hire. Yeah. Yeah. But they're at that. That's what I'm saying though, that yeah. there's still a generation behind the, the size. Mm-hmm. Well, watch how now how I tie everything all back together. Uh, so you like to identify future soon to be trillion dollar markets when looking for the 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 stocks that you want to hold and i think based on the conversation we've had that you've identified space as being one of the next massive markets that's going to be up for grabs if that was the spot i was supposed to jump in let me say that not only is it but it is the only one i know of that nobody else agrees with me on oh nobody thinks that like AI, you go, you look artificial intelligence, virtual reality, all that stuff I just mentioned about NVIDIA four years ago. Right. Everybody's not like, oh, those are going to be trillion dollar economies. Wow. Yes, agreed. But nobody will sit there and be like, dude, in five or 10 years, we're talking trillions of dollars of space economy. And people are like, Cody, you're nuts. Kathy Woods might be on your team, but didn't she start a space innovation fund? ArcX. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what she owns? What? She doesn't own a single space stock in that. Not anymore. (laughs) She owns like Caterpillar. John Deere. John Deere. That's what it is. She owns John Deere and Arc X. I mean, John Deere is not as big a stretch though, as, as you would think, right? No. Well, like I mentioned earlier, like people are going to use space to get better farming yields. Absolutely. So which, uh, which, which diamonds in the rough then are you eyeing for, for a space play for 10 years down the road? Space companies. All right. Number one, unfortunately, SpaceX is like in my hedge fund, it is my largest space holding and it always will be. Um, I bought it in the private market and, you know, dealing with years ago when I launched. Mm -hmm. Number two, Rocket Lab, RKLB. Rocket Lab, huh? It is a publicly traded one. It's the only space stock that hasn't crashed 70 or 80%, and that doesn't mean it still can. <laughs> Sounds like a Virgin Galactic thing. Right. <laughs> it's the best space company that you can buy on the public markets, but it's probably a little bit overvalued right now because of that. Mm. I I do own SpaceX. I, I do own Rocket Lab, and I own it from a higher level. It's right now around like seven or eight, and I bought it around 12 to 14. I would buy more. Um, I bought more actually in the sevens recently, and I would Mm -hmm. buy more if it goes to five. Um, I do think it could go to five because the market hates unprofitable ventures right now and space and and rocket Lab's going to be unprofitable for another year or two. Uh, There's a couple others. You can look at uh, black sky BKSY. It is a space stock that came public uh, through a SPAC, not, 18 months ago and is down 85 or 90 percent from where it was but you know that's one of them like again it's got the worst chart you've ever seen i know right <laughs> oh yeah i'm looking at it right now it's awful so look these are again to be very clear these are speculative i can't you know rocket lab's not making money yeah. yet so yeah, you got to yeah. be careful but i do think rocket lab is the best space stock you can buy well how many uh how many turds did you have to sift through and hold for one nvidia the, the, exactly, man. I mean, that's a great point. Um, yeah, you, you a couple of like there are literally dozens of space stocks out there, and I'm short six of them. 
So, uh, and I own five of them. So I'm short Maxar. I'm short Telesat. Um, Telesat has gone from 53 to 12 without going up one day, I don't think. Holy shit. What's, what's the ticker for Telesat? T-S-A-T. Well, look at that chart. Let's look at a terrible chart. That one's even so bad, I don't like it. Well, that looks like a great chart if you're short. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's visiting a planet with high gravity just pulling it right yeah. down <laughs> yes <laughs> nice space joke there dan yeah, yeah, like, well, done. well done <laughs> oh man what fun this conversation has been so yeah. look space is the future but it ain't gonna be easy and yeah. uh, nobody believes it yet and they're right because it ain't happening yet but you got to have a vision of 10 years out in two or three years, you'll be able to buy five or 10 great space stocks. But as of now, yeah, you got to just be careful and maybe stick with rocket lab and two or three others. Right. Just keep averaging in as they go down. (laughs) (laughs) Go to uh, seriously. If you're listening to this still, go to sktls.com, get yeah. yourself some free space crypto. It is the single best investment advice I can give anyone. You can't lose money if it's free. You know, I thought it would already have 100,000 people when, when Kyle and I were talking before you joined the call. And when you said it didn't, I went and signed up while we were talking. <laughs> nice. Like, how do you know? Good job, Dan. Because literally, it could be worth $5,000 day one. I doubt it will be. I think it'll be worth 50 bucks on day one. I hope it's worth 50 bucks on day one so I can go buy a bunch. Hey, if it's 50 cents, it's still 50 cents more than I had today. I truly believe and hope that there are, out of the thousands of people who did sign up, I hope there are people who are hungry. I mean, I wish they weren't hungry, but if there are hungry people in this world who can't buy their children's shoes tonight, I hope they're going to register for the free Skydles crypto Yeah, because they literally, whatever it's worth on that first day or that first month, they can get five bucks or 50 bucks or 500 bucks and put it in their pocket. And I'll buy, look, I will go buy some Skydles space crypto when it starts trading on the open market. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And so people will be selling it to me. Someone's going to be getting my money for their free crypto. Won't be mine. No, I'd rather wait 20 years and see what it does. If I can use it to buy my ticket to the moon. Right. Wouldn't that be incredible? And literally, I've been talking to a bunch of space companies trying to get them, you know, and then clearly they all are interested, but getting them to actually go, yes, we think we should also put our money or, you know, we think that Skittle Space Crypto is something we should be accepting as payment Mm -hmm. is we're we're not there yet but i truly believe in five or ten years all it takes is a jeff bezos retweet right an elon musk tweet right like holy shit look at the space debris cleaning crypto tell him you're long tesla and short microsoft and that'll get you a retweet (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right all you need to do Musk is salty about uh, uh, Microsoft shorting Tesla. Bill Gates short, shorting Tesla. Why should be Bill Gates being short his st- like uh, number one? What the fuck is Bill Gates doing with his life that he's shorting a stock that's making us green? Yeah, like this whole yeah. thing. Got to, we got to solve yeah. diseases and climate. 
but I'm going to short. I'm going to bet against the only company that's actually doing anything for this. And number two, Elon Musk is going to put chips into everybody's brains. He's literally got a company. He said he's going to put chips in everybody's brains. And everybody's like, I'm so scared that Bill Gates is going to put chips in my brain. Through the vaccines. Yeah, yeah, yeah Bill Gates is going to do it, right? <laughs> Bill Gates is not putting chips in your brain. No, no, he's not. But that doesn't mean I like Bill Gates either. I'm mad at Bill Gates. I, I You know what? Uh, a year ago, I, I, I started losing respect for this Billy guy. I mean, this whole Epstein thing, this whole oh, God, yeah. like cheating on his wife thing. Like, look, I, 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 people are going to do what they're going to do, and I'm not judging. But like when you, when you put yourself out there as – this virtuous CEO, like I truly respected right. and loved this, like not loved, but I revered him. I'm done with that. It, 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 especially when I found out he's shortened Tesla. Fuck yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. That's how you go broke. Right, Dan? That's right. That is how you go broke. I hope he goes like literally <laughs> Tesla. If, if Tesla goes to like 10,000, like Bill Gates is wiped out. He'll have to sell yeah. his farms. That would yeah. be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it closed down his foundation. It's just going to be oh, the Melinda man. Gates Foundation. Yes. Now exactly. divorced. I'm fine with that. That doesn't that actually sound better. I actually yes, love that. The Melinda Gates. She better get. She should go back to her maiden name. The Melinda. What? Right. What it used to be. <laughs> Melinda. What it used to be. Foundation. Yeah. I Melinda like, I like that. I donate to that. French. Melinda French. The Melinda and French Foundation. There you go. Plus, you get France happy too. We owe them. We owe them for the Statue of Liberty still. Oh come on, we still owe them for that. That was too far. French? Fr- no, no, she's not from France. Her last name is French. <laughs> that was a joke I heard the other day. <laughs> Do you know where the first French fry was cooked? Because it wasn't in France. Well, no, it was in Greece. Oh, <laughs> I love a good dad joke. Oh, oh fuck! Right. Yeah. Well, well, now that everybody has turned off the show, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cody, can you uh, please tell everyone where they can uh, sign up for for Skittle again one more time in case they missed it? If they're if they're listening, if they've been listening to this point, they s- surely have been to s k t l s dot com. S k t l s. It's like sky's the limit with an s on the end. S k t l s dot com. Get your free airdrop. Sign up for it. Be careful out there with everything else you're doing. Buy yourself a little intel. I don't know what else to tell you, people. <laughs> you can also find them on at Skydles Crypto. And uh, if you want to check out more from Cody, you can go to tradingwithcody.com. Or you can follow him on Twitter at, at Cody Willard. We'll have those links all in the episode description to make it easy for everyone to find. All right. Fantastic. Oh, Cody, so much fun. Thank you so much for stopping by. Yes. It feels like it's Friday. It's Monday. Right? Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> That's why I schedule these on Monday because they're always on. Always so yep. much fun and a good way to start your week. It's 3.30 in New Mexico. Still early. I got more work to do. I'm going to go analyze some more sh- shitty Thank charts. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> All right, Dan, you want, you want to wrap us up? Oh, this has been an amazingly wonderful time. We we hope we can have you back on again sometime in the future, Cody. And everybody out there, I, I already signed up for my Skydle. Uh, you make sure you get a chance to do the same. So thank you again, Cody. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, thank you, everyone, for sticking around to the end. But we do have to go. So until next time, happy trades. Goodbye.
Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.